Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association. I'm Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. Today is the 23rd of May 2017. Today's programme talks to Beverly Jones from Peterborough Archive Service. Beverly has been leading a project to bring to life two visitors' books from a tea stall run by the Women's Total United Abstinence Council on Peterborough East Railway Station during 1916 and 1917. The podcast spoke to Beverly in our first programme. I caught up with her today to get an update on the project and discover what further research they had done. I started by asking Beverly to briefly tell us about the aims of the project. Well, the whole aim of the project is to really bring alive these two books that exist from 1916 and 17. They were very simple exercise books, really. They would look very insignificant if you picked one up. They were at Peterborough East Station um, in a tea room that was run by, uh, by a group of ladies that were providing a place of comfort for soldiers to rest whilst they're waiting for their trains. But um, more importantly, they were absence ladies, um, so they were trying to keep the men away from the pubs. So the chaps would call in there while they're waiting for trains, um, have tea, ham, eggs, somewhere warm to sit and a little bit of company. And the ladies encouraged them to sign these uh, guest books, really, um, whilst they were there. And the books contain um, over 590 entries, and their poems, their sketches, lots of messages of gratitude. And um, the books have been digitised, so you can read them on our website. And each entry has been transcribed, so you can uh, click on it and read. And we're researching. We've just completed the research at the minute now um, on the entries in there. And now we're trying to trace families. And um, we've got 350 of the entries we've found information on. Um, sometimes we've only discovered a medal card, so we've got limited information. And then others, we found lots of information. Um, so we're really sort of trying now to um, get in touch with people across the country and beyond, because these men came from other places. They also came from Australia. Canada, uh, South Africa, Belgium, uh, to have a look, see if you can recognise a relative in the book and tell us more about, you know, that individual so we can um, write their story. Just before we go any further, where can people find the website? It is www.peterboroughww1.co.uk. What's, what have you discovered in the intervening period since we last talked? We're finding all sorts. Um, I think the beauty of the book is they're not just um, army, uh, we've obviously, which obviously at that time did include, include the Royal Flying Corps, um, but we've got Royal Navy. We've got um, quite a lot of merchant navy that tell a good story, some civilians. So there's quite a bit of variety in the book. But one chap we, we've come across who's quite interesting, Fred Watson, and he was uh, with the King's Own Yorkshire Light Infantry. Um, and he was actually a career soldier. He'd been in the army. He joined uh, quite young. He was uh, joined the army in 1897, and he'd served uh, lots of different places: South Africa, Malta, Crete, um, West Africa, and he'd had quite a colourful career. He did get good conduct badges, but also we, we've seen sort of evidence of um, he's been charged with being neglect on duty, uh, gambling in camp. So an interesting character, but he, he does go on during the war to do a number of things. He, he um, ends up drunk on duty, which was another one that happened, but he does redeem himself and he's promoted, demoted. It's a, it's a very interesting read, all, all the information on him. But he finally goes out to France in 1917 and he's wounded um, some days later but not serious enough to want evacuation. But then August uh, the following year, um, his unit is involved in, in uh, uh, some heavy fighting and um, his company actually leads the attack. He's with D Company. And uh, the expert from the war diary um, gives us a good insight to what actually happened. 
and we believe it's during that time that Fred was awarded his military cross and his citation reads for conspicuous gallantry and good leadership when officers of two platoons became casualties he took command and led the men forward with great dash and skill he was cut off with part of his platoon but fought his way back to his company his courage and resolutions were remarkable and his cheerfulness inspired all who were with him so really nice to read you know all his years of experience and um, how he performs on the day and and what he did but sadly um, it's during the attack um, that the 24 uh, other ranks are killed and four officers and we think Fred this is the day that Fred probably became a casualty too so his wife receives a letter to say that Fred met his death from an enemy machine gun bullet which hit him in the back of the neck and he died in a few minutes and Fred was just 39 years old so that's you know quite a lot of information we've managed to get on Fred Watson there. And I understand you've actually done some research on a couple of POWs who had interesting experiences. Yeah there's a couple that we've um, haven't really sort of thought too much down this line wasn't uh, what we would get but they're very contrasting experiences as well. We've got um, Jack John Bonshaw who at the time of coming through the city he was actually um, with one of the um, Hunt Cycling Unit and um, he was born in Grantham again he uh, he'd had two years in our city at a teacher training college so obviously prior to the war that was his ambition he was in the middle of training to be a teacher and war came along and that was the end of that so he was in the Hunt Cycling Battalion and um, it was while he was with this that he passed through our station and he wrote in the book um, the ladies the message to the ladies was kind hearts are more than coronets and that was in July 1917 uh, he was commissioned in January 1918 and went to the South Staffordshire Regiment and they went out to France unfortunately he was captured by the Germans on the 21st of March 1918, uh, the first day of the German Spring Offensive. Uh, there's an extract there from a war diary that tells us a little bit more about him. But um, the next thing we, we found was that he writes a letter home to his parents and he, he t- tells them that, I'm a prisoner of war in German hands and at present in hospital, shot through the left arm and right shoulder, but not severely. I'm unable to write. This is being done by a brother officer. Don't worry, I am comfortable under the circumstances and I am being treated kindly. Please inform all my friends. As soon as I can write, my, uh, my arm is better, I'll write and let you know my address. And that was printed in the Grantham Journal in May 1919, uh, 1918. So, but the prisoner of war death records for August 1918 show that he'd been a prisoner of war at Stendhal Prisoner of War Camp in Germany, but he died sadly on 26th of July 1918 from TB. Uh, he's interned in Stendhal Cemetery in July with full military honours, and he's only 23 years old. So again, another very sad story. In contrast to that, we have an entry in the book from a chap called George Newbold uh, from Bradford. Uh, he was a gas meter inspector before the war. Uh, he was with the, the Royal Navy. And um, he's an interesting one. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but he is interned in Holland, in Groningen, in North Holland. And it appears that there was, um, in 1914, there was a surplus of men in the reserves of the Royal Navy and they weren't able to sort of place on warship. And I think September of that year, the Belgian army called for help to defend Antwerp from the German advance and apparently the information we found says that Churchill visited Antwerp on the 3rd of October to assess the situation and offered support to the Belgians Um, and it appears that that support was um, included battalions from the R&D 
which were deployed but failed and were forced into retreat. About 1,500 of the, uh, these men missed their designated train to be evacuated, so instead they were marched into neutral Holland to avoid becoming a prisoner of war. And on arrival in Holland, they were interned um, in the camp um, in Holland, and there they stayed till the end of the war, 1918. So we're not sure how he managed to sign our book in 1917, but it appears, it's almost like a gentleman's agreement, that they came home on leave, but were able to... Um, you know, go back to the camp. So I guess their experience would have been really very, very different um, to that of poor John Bonshaw. I think the book's, what's what's amazing about the book is actually how it sort of captures so many different sort of snapshots of service, you know, in one place at one time. Have you actually done any work on, on the, of the 500 entries, how many died, how many were wounded and things like that? Yeah, yeah, we will have that um, information. We've um, say we, we've completed all the stories. We've just about finished the research. Obviously, quite a few of those are no traces, so we, we won't know anything about that. Um, but we will be able to tally up how many did. We don't have the figures at the moment, so we're just completing research now. But um, out of the 350, and there are quite a a few that have gone on we were always our first thing we worried about was how much information would we find because many of them just signed the book with initials you know they weren't professional soldiers they weren't, weren't all leaving a name rank and number and then coupled with that obviously uh, many of the World War One records have been destroyed anyway um, so I think the fact we've got leads on 350 and some of them we've got quite a lot um, but yes it will be interesting when we, we sort of look at all the figures to see how many survived and I know you, the project has done a lot with the local community can you just tell us how that how that's worked well the whole idea is that people will engage with the website people will have a look um, and if they recognise anybody they, they can actually comment via our website to give us further information um, things like you know photographs, documents, relatives, we had somebody come through last week that's recognised their great grandfather um, so they've been able to fill in some gaps and, and give us some images so that's lovely. We're doing an education resource at the moment that will be available for our local schools using the book but also so they learn not just about the war and about the people in the book but to teach them a little bit more about archives and the importance of some of these documents and primary sources etc so that's something we're working on as well with our local schools and um, we had some of the um, children from one of the other schools that came along and um, they had a day with a reenactor and a poet and they looked at stories and they produced some poems of their own and they'll be going up on our website Uh, that's quite nice and then finally when we close the project um, in January 2018 we'll have a three-month exhibition to showcase all the work we've done and that will be at Peterborough museum so um you know we're hoping lots of people will come to that from outside of peterborough really because these men came from across the country bevy thank you very much for your time you have been listening to the mentioned in dispatches podcast from the western front association with me tom thorpe thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time...